Welcome back to Pause and Listen. I'm your host, Mariette, and this is a special Christmas episode with my very special guest, Dr. Louise, who will be answering five questions from our audience tonight. Welcome back, Dr. Louise. How are you? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. It's almost Christmas. I'm excited, even though it'll be a, a much quieter uh, Christmas celebration this year, just with uh, you know my two sons um, and uh, staying safe and healthy. What about you? Pretty much the same. Normally, I would go down to uh, see some uncles and cousins um and their kids but uh yeah this year it's pretty much just gonna be my folks and my uh my dog so it's gonna be the the more uh nuclear family per se for uh, uh probably christmas and and new year's so it's a definitely a a different uh a year um but i think just for you know with everything that's going on i think it's a, the safest route to go at this point I absolutely agree. Rather safe than sorry. And if we all do our part, then we can go back next year and celebrate all the holidays with our family and extended family and friends, right? That is correct. Yeah, it's better safe than sorry, like you mentioned. And, you know, the vaccine's close to, you know, in the horizon for, for us. So just have to be patient for that. Right. Dr. Luis, um, there hasn't been any um, cases of COVID for dogs, correct? I mean, I heard here and there in the beginning, and we had a couple of uh, tigers, I believe, that they thought had COVID. But have you come across or heard of any dogs that have contracted COVID? So there were, I believe, two cases. One in, uh, it was either in China or in Hong Kong. Um, and I believe there was one here in the States. But in those cases, those dogs um, had contracted it um, because they were actually pets of healthcare workers. So they were either, I believe one of them was a, a doctor, a human doctor, I'm, I'm not sure about the other owner, but they were constantly exposed to COVID due to the patients that they were dealing with. And they actually were the ones that gave it to the pet. But the pet showed positive uh, in the testing that was done. But I don't believe they actually showed the type of symptoms that are seen in humans. And it's not something that they... Uh, transmitted either to other dogs or to another human. It was something that the human actually gave to the dogs in, in this case. Um, but they were, like you said, isolated incidences, not something that was, um, you know, widespread. And, and that's this strain of COVID. Dogs have a normal strain in the GI system, but it's completely different. And cats actually have a strain also that for them, it's very, very deadly. It's actually a mutated version of the coronavirus um, that's been for them for years. 
but it's cat specific in that one. And obviously in the dog's case, it's a GI one that's uh, kind of specific for them as well. It's not, neither one is um, the same as the one obviously affecting humans at this time. That's great. I'm so glad that it's not something that affects our dogs. So, um, well, I think we should get uh, to the questions. The first question is from Lorraine from Westerville. And she said, Dr. Louise, I have two rescue dogs. I'm vegan and I want to know if dogs can be vegan too and still be healthy. So in regards to this question, um, there are some vegan foods out there um, that are made uh, over the counter, obviously, by some manufacturers. Unfortunately, there isn't a lot of research um, comparing, you know, uh, pets that, for example, have been on a vegan diet for their entire life versus ones that have not. And if there's any health issues that arise from it or things of that nature, um, you know, dogs as a whole are omnivores. So they can eat both meat and and um, obviously, uh, you know, vegetables, grain, etc. Um, but as a whole. Um, that one is actually a question that I spoke with a, a colleague of mine who does more uh, holistic or homopathic type of medicine. But she even kind of agreed that, yeah, you know, in these cases, uh, you know, kind of to have the well-balanced diet, even though there's, like I said, some information and some proponents of it, it's it's too new to really be able to say, that there wouldn't be any health issues with it. Um, there would have to be a little bit more research or things like that. So it's not something I tend to recommend, um, you know, my clients to to put their pets on a vegan uh, a diet, specifically dogs. So cats are actually st strict carnivores, so they should not be having any type of vegan diet. In the case of the dogs, is there the possibility? There might be, but there's not enough information at this point for me to be able to recommend that I would, I would stick with, um, you know, what's known to work. And obviously, you know, uh, people have different lifestyles, things like that, but pets, unfortunately, we cannot accommodate them sometimes to that lifestyle because they're, they're different. They have different necessities, different, uh, demands, you know, for their, for their diets. Um, so it's, it's probably not something I would, I would feel comfortable recommending at this point for dogs. Okay, the second question is from Betsy from Indiana. Dr. Louise, I adopted a Doberman three years ago. She's a puppy mill survivor. When I adopted her, the shelter estimated her to be six years old. They think that as a puppy, she suffered both a broken tibia and hairline fracture femur of her left back leg, which was never treated or corrected. The vet from the shelter said it's too late to do something to correct her leg and it would be very expensive to do surgery. I'm sad and I feel guilty now that I didn't do anything for her three years ago. I'm financially able now to afford the surgery. Do you suggest I do the surgery or do you think she's too old now? I'm worried about her suffering from arthritis in that leg the older she gets. So 
in this particular uh, uh, case, um, there is a couple of things to keep in mind. The first one is because there was a previous um, fracture um, and it's something that's already healed, any type of um, surgery that would be done if, if it were to correct the issue, you would actually have to break the bone again to realign it and then put either plates or uh, pins uh, with wire, you know, depending on the type of break, et cetera. So it, it would be somewhat of a painful procedure. And there's already what's called a callus, um, which is pretty much um, a bony formation that is what kind of helps stabilize the bone when you have a type of break of that nature, which would be very difficult to correct. You would probably have to shave the bone, like I said, re-break the, the area and realign it. So it would not be a very simple procedure. And that's probably where the cost factor will kick in. And if you were to go down that route, it would not prevent arthritis from occurring. Arthritis is going to uh, occur regardless because whether uh, you either fix the issue or keep it the same, that's already not normal bone. It's not normal bone or tissue around there. So the early onset of arthritis is going to happen regardless um, because it's, it's because of the break and obviously because of uh, how we heal. And, but anytime we have a pet that has any type of, um, you know, procedure done, you know, if, even if they, for example, break their cranial cruciate ligament, which would be the equivalent of the ACL in humans um, or any bone, um, you know, fracture, et cetera, they will have earlier onset than if they had never had that injury on that, uh, you know, uh, limb or, um, and it's the same in, in humans in that sense. Um, so you would not be able to prevent um, early onset of arthritis, even if you were to do the procedure, but it would be a procedure that can be not only costly, but, you know, painful to the pet. I mean, they would really have to monitor the, the pain medication and, and it wouldn't be an easy procedure. It would probably be something that a specialist would have to do. And, and they would have to be, to, to be honest, be the ones to evaluate if it's worth doing at that point too um, because of the, the set issues that can come along with it. Um, you know, so, I, you know, if it's something that you would want a little bit further guidance, I, I personally would recommend maybe a consultation with an orthopedic specialist to take a look at the x-rays uh, if, if there is any, or, or obviously they would have to take some and evaluate if it would be something that would be feasible. They would obviously be able to give you an idea of the cost. But by default, uh, I would not um, really put any expectations that you would be able to prevent arthritis because that, that's going to happen regardless in every pet as they get older. But in these type of cases, there is an earlier onset that it's not going to change whether you do the, the, the procedure or not. Now, if the pet is comfortable and is still able to uh, you know, move around and act normally in, in that sense, even with a little bit of a deformity, um, you know, to be honest, I, I, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't go the surgical route, but, but again, you know, obviously it's your decision. And if, if, but like I said, if you want to look a little bit further into it, I would recommend a consultation with a, with an orthopedic specialist. Okay. 
Poor baby, it sounds uh, very painful. The third question is from Cassie from New Jersey. Dr. Louise, I have a four-month-old golden retriever female puppy. Given the new recommendation to wait to spay or neuter large breed dogs, when is the right time or age to spay her and why? So this is actually, um, ironically enough, a question that uh, Mariette had herself with her dogs. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that is, uh, that is true. It is something that's a relatively new um, information that has come out with large breed or above. So your, even your extra large, you know, your giant size breeds, like your Great Danes and things of that nature, that it seems that the, the smaller breeds, so your miniatures, your small up to your medium breed dogs, seem to finish their growth at about six months of age, which was the previous recommendation for both spaying and neutering as a whole. The new information seems to be showing that the large breeds and above seem to uh, take a little bit longer to fully mature. So that means their bone development uh, and, and everything else, obviously, that ties into that continues for a little bit longer time span than do your smaller breed dogs and your medium breed dogs. So that being said, um, there isn't now a straight cut answer for these guys because of that. It comes down to um, as an owner and, and in some cases, previous experience with other dogs that, that the owner has had uh, for them to make that decision. Pretty much if you spay a, a large breed dog or above uh, before their first heat cycle, uh, which normally for your large dog would be anywhere between six to eight months of age. And, you know, some of your giant ones more closer to a year or a little bit more, sometimes up to a year and a half. Um, if you spay before the first heat cycle, there are certain types of cancers that you eliminate by 100%. Uh, if you wait until after the first heat cycle, but before the second heat cycle, that goes down to 60%. And if you wait until after the second heat cycle, you get no more benefit from it. It doesn't matter at that point. Um, you don't get any benefit for, to avoid certain types, not all types, but certain types of cancer. Now, the thing with uh, some of these guys, um, why people would wait longer to spay or to neuter has to do with um issues orthopedic issues like hip dysplasia so if i have an owner that's more concerned about that then the idea is to wait until they're more fully mature which for example for a great dane that could be closer to two two and a half years of age for a golden retriever lab you're looking at closer to one year maybe a year and a half um obviously you could you could wait a little bit longer on a on a male dog uh, because you don't have to worry about those heat cycles. Um, but in a female dog, you know, uh, if I have an owner that, uh, like I said, has had issues before with, with previous dogs with hip dysplasia and they're more concerned about that, then I tell them to wait until 
you know, if it's a golden retriever, maybe one to, to one and a half years of age. If they're more concerned about the, the, the cancer aspect of things, then I try to tell them, you know, beef that in those cases, you know, the, the earliest being probably about seven months or so of age um, for the golden retriever. Now, if I have an owner that kind of wants a little bit the best of both worlds, um, then I tell them to wait until um, after the first heat cycle, but before the second heat cycle. So they still get some benefit for uh, eliminating some of the, the risk of those certain types of cancers. And they wait a little bit longer for that bone formation. Um, in those cases, you usually have to wait about three months or so after they're done with that first heat cycle before you do the spaying, uh, just to make it a little bit safer so that the blood vessels and everything are not quite as engorged and, and, and the procedure itself, you know, you don't run the risk of as much hemorrhage as you would otherwise. So, um, that tends to be the recommendation, but again, there isn't a, a straightforward answer as for your medium to, you know, below breed dogs. And as there was before, because now this new information has come to light. And so that is something that, uh, you know, a conversation that I have with clients uh, rather frequently and, um, you know, at the end they have to make that decision, but that's the information and, and how, um, you know, why uh, there's the, these new recommendations now that they're, that were, that were not there before. Okay. Yes. I, I wanted to try and do the right thing with Sam and Annika as far as waiting um, because my previous golden retrievers all ended up with um, the, you know, hip dysplasia and um, weakness in their back legs, but it's so hard to find the right perfect time between you know, doing that and avoiding cancer, because as you know, um, my other golden retriever had the cancer growth in his on his legs. I guess we just all do the best that we can and, and then I and then hope for the best. The fourth question is from Chris from Long Island. Dr. Luis, I have a Rottweiler who is three years old. He is super stubborn and hyper. He tore his CCL four months ago. I'm afraid to exercise him too much or let him run free and play in the backyard with my two other dogs. But now he's gained five pounds. What do you recommend to get him to lose weight? And is it safe to take him for long walks or letting him play with other dogs and run around? So... The first thing that I would recommend in these type of cases, um, and that's something that um, you always have control over, is um, the diet. You know, what, what is your Rottweiler, um, you know, being fed? Are you giving a lot of treats? Uh, is he getting any human food? Because if you're not able to control the weight via exercise, because obviously of the cranial cruciate ligament issue and the, and the potential of having the, the other leg torn. Um, 
it would be recommended then to control it through dietary means. That means that if you're giving any type of human food or if you're having uh, any treats to eliminate those, you can substitute them sometimes. So you can use the individual kibble of his normal food as a treat. The other thing that you can use is boiled uh, boneless, skinless uh, chicken breast as a treat. Some people mince it up into little cubes, um, freeze them, and then just throw them out as they use them. The other option would be uh, um, ground beef, but if you go that route, it has to be at least 94% fat-free or, or the lean or more, and that's cooked the same way, just boiled. Um, you know, you don't want to add anything uh, to it either, no condiments or anything like that. It's very, very bland, um, but it's very high. Both of them, the chicken and the, the beef, would be high in protein and low in fat, uh, the chicken obviously being, being a little bit higher in protein. The other option, too, has been the hard-boiled eggs. That's also going to be high in protein, low in fat. But if you notice the trend, all three of those are boiled. You're not frying them. You're not uh, uh, grilling them, etc., because you're not adding any oil. You're not adding any fat to it. It's, it's bland, so there's less chance of these guys having any diarrhea or anything like that, unless they have some type of allergy, obviously, to the food, which you're not going to know unless you do the testing or, obviously, through trial and error. But they tend to be very safe as a whole in comparison to a lot of the treats that are offered uh, out there. I'm not a big proponent of treats just because probably about 80% of the cases that we tend to see tend to be GI related. And a lot of them seem to have those type of things as culprits. Um, so, um, you know, I would, I would uh, you know, caution against that. See if you can substitute it. Another thing that I use if it's a dog that likes to chew on things, ice cubes usually work. There's no calories there. They can't get obstructed because it melts. Um, so those would be the, the substitutes if you have to give uh, some type of treat, um, you know, in, in that sense, and keeping him just on his regular diet. Now, it has to be a high-quality diet. There are certain brands that are high in fat. Um, you know, if it's just a regular dry food is one thing. Usually the canned foods or the, the ones that you get from the freezer, et cetera, have more fat than the dry food. Uh, but it also depends on the type of food. Um, so you want to be um, conscious about that. Uh, and then the other thing, too, in those cases tends to be, um, you know, if, if, if you've eliminated the treats, you've eliminated the human food, and you're still having a little bit of an issue with the weight, the next step that we normally tell people it's to keep on whatever food they're on, but switch it to a calorie control or a weight management version of that food. Do not mess necessarily with the amount that you're feeding yet. Now first try doing that because then by default, you know, if you're feeding one cup of the regular food versus one cup of the calorie control food, well, the calorie control food is going to have less calories by default, even though you're giving the same amount. So he's not bound as much to beg for food or things of that nature. In the more extreme cases, sometimes we have to start decreasing the amount of food and substituting it with uh, green beans, for example, to to make the pet feel more full, um, you know, from the fiber aspect of things um, so that they're not begging for food. You know, and, and the, the really extreme examples, there are prescription diets that they can go on to lose the weight. But those tend to be cases where. For example, if I have a dog that's supposed to be, let's say, 30 pounds or 40 pounds, and they're weighing 70 pounds, you know, where they're really struggling to lose that weight, 
and and that's a lot more uh, regimental. You know, they, they they have to take weights every two weeks. There's specific amounts, special cups sometimes that we give the owners so that they can measure how much they're giving. That's and that's the other thing too, making sure that if you're giving a cup, it's actually a cup. Like you're using a measuring cup to measure it, not just a regular cup that could end up being two cups instead of one cup, because that will make a difference also. Um, but that's that's where I would focus on now. Taking the walks is not a bad idea, but I'll probably do it with a leash so that you have a lot more control. So he can't, you know, have that spontaneous zero to 60, you know, run chasing after something where you have that likelihood of tearing the, the cranial cruciate ligament. If he's trained, um, you know, I would hope that he's not necessarily jumping on people or jumping on you, you know, uh, so that that part, you know, if, if you have good control of him, I don't see an issue with, with the walking and you, and the distances if you're walking um, shouldn't be that big of a deal. Um, where I would be more concerned would be, for example, running because that's more of a high impact uh, sport and, and just like in humans. And so you could run more, issue, more into issues with the cranial cruciate ligament, especially if she's already had an issue with the other leg because in those cases, the, the, the healthy leg has a higher likelihood of having the same issue as the leg that tore um, and it might have to already uh, compensate a little bit of the weight that the the, the damaged leg uh, is not able to to uh, you know distribute the, the way it normally would. Now I know that the the information isn't on here, so I'm not sure if the the one that torn was fixed or not, and if it was fixed through surgery or if it was done more through restricted activity. That can sometimes uh, make a little bit of a difference, also, but. This actually is a perfect example of that, that uh, uh, previous question regarding the, the early arthritis onset. You know, th- this is a dog that e- even if that cranial cruciate ligament was fixed surgically, and, and if it wasn't, uh, but, but it, but it uh, healed with scar tissue, um, that's gonna, this dog is going to have early onset of arthritis, you know, when it gets older on that affected leg. And, and if and it has a higher likelihood of having the issue in the other leg. So, any type of uh, rambunctious activity. So, for example, running around and playing with other dogs, that probably would be, um, um, you know, it, that probably would not be recommended. Just because he already has the history, he already torn one of them. He has a higher likelihood of the other one tearing. That probably wouldn't be a very good idea. But leash walking should be fine, and controlling the weight via the diet and maybe because of some of the walking that that should be fine as well. Okay. The last question is from Rob from Cincinnati. Dr. Luis, my 10 year old Pomeranian is constantly drinking water and having accidents in the house. This started two months ago. I work and she's home for nine hours by herself, but I never had a problem with her having accidents in the house before. But now I come home to pee accidents all the time. I had her tested for bladder infection and UTI. Both was negative. They said she's just getting old and need more potty breaks. Is it possible she has diabetes? So 
So the answer to that question is yes, there is that possibility. Um, to be honest, uh, usually when pets get older, they can have things like incontinence, uh, but what differentiates that from a UTI or something of that nature is that if they have the accidents, they're going to be uh, asleep. They're not going to be conscious. So what normally people see is they see the pet sleeping either next to them on the couch or, or on their own. And then when they get up, they find a puddle. They're not actively awake having accidents in the house or having that type of issue. So that's what you would see that incontinence uh, as an age-related issue. There can be some hormonal issues, but normally it's seen the same way. Incontinence itself, they lose the consciousness um, when they're asleep and they lose sphincter control. It's not something that normally happens when they're awake. So if the accidents are happening and if you have, let's say, a camera and you know that she's awake during the day and that's what's happening. And also the other thing, too, is the fact that she's drinking more water. That's normally not an issue that you would see by just the dog being older um, and also not an issue that you would see if it's just incontinence. Um, so the fact that she's constantly drinking water and assuming that it's more obviously than she was before and having these accidents tells us that there's something else going on. Um, diabetes definitely is an option. The way now it would be dependent on the testing that they did for the urine, because if, if it is diabetes, they would have seen glucose in the urine. And normally that's also confirmed with blood work because you would see a high, uh, uh blood glucose level in that blood work. Um, so, um, you know, if, if, if they did a urinalysis, um, that would show glucose, um, uh, in the urine, uh, and then they could do the blood work. And if both, like I said, both of them had high levels of, of uh, in one case, blood sugar, in the other case, glucose in the urine, that's a diabetic animal. Um, you know, and in that case, they need to start with, with uh, uh, you know, insulin and a dietary change, you know, et cetera. Um, now, there are other symptoms that can cause the clinical signs that you're mentioning. So it's not just, um, you know, uh, the the uh, you know the the drinking water with just diabetes you can have it with Cushing's disease um, which is uh, um, an over uh, reaction of the adrenal glands okay they overproduce um, you know uh, corticosteroids and, and 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 you start having issues um, you know with that increased water intake um, they usually eat more also. Um, you can have that in, there's two different types of diabetes. You have diabetes mellitus and diabetes insipidus. It could be one or the other. And the insipidus is a little bit harder to, to diagnose than the mellitus because you're not going to have the sugar levels elevated. But there is some, some water deprivation test, for example, that's done in those cases to test that. So there's things that can be, that can go a little bit further to see why we're drinking more, um, you know, more water and obviously having um, having these accidents. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, if they didn't do a urinalysis, that should be done. And if they didn't do blood work, uh, that would be the next step also to, to try to figure out, you know, what can be causing that. Cause if, if we are drinking more water and that's a consistent thing and definitely more than before, that's not an age related thing. There's something, something causing that. 
Um, so I, I would I would definitely stress um, going a little bit further in in, in this case. Wow, such great information. This was this was amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Louise. I learned so much tonight. And so many of these questions are things that I've wondered about myself. And um, I get questions from clients that um, we take care of their dogs. Um, so thank you so much. Um, all of these quest questions were um, amazing and all the information you gave us was uh, was amazing and um, I learned so much thank you so much um, for being on the podcast um, tonight um, I want to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year thank you for doing the podcast with me this year and I hope you'll be back next year to do some more and if there's um, any um, special Christmas wish or um, message that you would like to um, say to the audience or to, you know, some special family mem uh, members, please go ahead. Yeah, so pretty much just that everybody have a safe and happy holidays and, um, you know, the, the big emphasis on being safe uh, for themselves and their loved ones. And, um, you know, hopefully we can get over the, the hump of the, this pandemic that has, you know, turned everybody's life upside down and around the world, not just here, um, you know, and so that you know, things can have some regain a little bit of normalcy, hopefully here in the, in the near future. Um, but I hope everybody, uh, like I said, has some, some safe holidays, a, a good, hopefully a better, better new year, you know, better year coming up. Um, um, but I'm glad that, uh, uh, obviously you and your family are safe and, and continue to do so. And, um, you know, and also obviously perhaps, uh, you know, next year we'll, we'll be seeing you in, in, in TV as well with your, your new show. Yeah, I hope so. That would be awesome. Thank you, Dr. Luis. Merry Christmas. And, um, I will talk to you soon and thank you for being on the podcast. No problem. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.